Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Lavernia Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about what you hear, or if you would like to speak with one of our pastors, you can find all of our contact information at www.fbclv.com. My family loves to play games. Cards, dominoes, board games. Recently, my son and his friends, they've been playing chess. I probably hadn't played chess in 30 years, and even at that, just very little. So I said, well, I want to play. And so we got a chess board. <clears throat> we sit down. He had to explain to me again what all the pieces do, right? This one moves forward. This one goes side to side. This one goes diagonal. This one jumps around. This one does anything they want to. Okay. And he kind of explained the rules to me again a little bit. We start playing. He goes, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, you can go first. And so he moves this little guy out there. Okay. So I kind of just moved my little guy where he moved his little guy. And then he takes this little guy and he jumps around somewhere. And then I sit there and I go, okay. So I can move this one forward. Or I can move this one forward. I can move this one over here. And I'm thinking about all the things that I can do. And he says, Dad, it's your turn. I know I'm thinking. Right? So then I move one. And, and then within like a split second, he moves another one. Oh, man, so then I'm going through all my pieces, right? I can move this one here. What can he do over there? And I can move this one here, but what can he do over there? And I go through every single piece that I have to see what could happen in which direction and which way I can move it. Dad, it's your turn. I know, I'm thinking. So I move it over there. He does it again. Every time he moves, it opens up a new possibility of all the bad things that he can do to my pieces. So then I have to keep thinking, okay, if I move this one here, he could do this. If I move this one here, it's like like checkers times a million. So you're thinking about all the different things that could happen and where he could go. And finally, like for real, I may be the slowest chess player in the history of ever. And so it had been what felt like 10 minutes and he goes, Dad, it's your turn. I go, I know, I'm thinking. And the reason I have to think so long is because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a strategy. I don't have an action plan. I don't have a defense. I'm just trying not to lose. And so far, that's not working for me because we've played 19 games and the record is 19 to zero. (laughs) He's beat me every game. And like, he doesn't even really try. He plays on his phone while he's doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. you're terrible at this game, Dad. I know, And so sometimes maybe I think too long when I should move quicker. Other times I move too quickly when I should have thought about it a little bit longer. And I think that's how we are in life sometimes. Sometimes we move so fast and maybe we should have spent a little more time thinking about that. Or other times we think for so long that we say, man, I missed my opportunity. I should have moved quicker. We are in the third week of this new series called New Normal looking at words that were spoken, actions that were taken, decisions that were made that may seem very unusual to the world but should be normal to us as disciples of Christ. When you're playing chess, action is required. Whether you think a long time or a little time, you've got to eventually move your piece. Today, we're gonna see three actions that are required from us if we're going to live in this new normal as disciples. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter two today. We're gonna look at verses 13 through 21. John chapter two, 13 through 21, three actions we must take as disciples of Jesus. If you're a note taker, here's our first one. We must accept the reality. I'm gonna show you a picture here. 
This man is Frain Salak. <clears throat> he is a music teacher from Croatia, and he is known as the world's luckiest unlucky man. So his journey began in 1929, and he has had many near-death experiences. So the first one was when he was born in 1929. His mom was seven months pregnant, and she was on a fishing boat with her husband when she went into labor prematurely and delivered him on a boat. It was hard enough to be born in 1929 by yourself, but to be on a boat and make it back to shore and survive, that's pretty incredible. Then, in 1957, he was on a bus, and the bus swerved off the road, went into a river. He was able to manage to get out and had no injuries. Okay, a bus off the road in a river. In 1962, he was on a train. A boulder fell on the train tracks, made the train derail into an icy river. He was able to get out, save his compartment buddy, and the only injuries he suffered were a broken arm and hypothermia. In 1963, he was on a small airplane, and the plane ended up having some technical malfunctions, and it crashed into a boulder. But before it crashed, the door flew off the airplane and sucked him out, and he fell from the airplane 800 meters. So that's half a mile. He fell half a mile from the sky, landed on a haystack, and survived. Half a mile, he fell in the air to the ground, and he survived. Then seven years later, he was driving a car when it suddenly caught fire. He jumped out, the car blew up, he survived. Three years later, in 1973, driving another car, I don't know what kind of car he was driving, but don't ever buy one of these, it caught on fire, and the flames blew through the air vents and singed all the hair off of his body, but he had no other injuries. Then he had a lapse, 22 years, in 1995, he was hit by a bus. Hit by a bus and walked away with no serious injuries. In 1996, a truck almost crashed into his car, but he swerved, hit a guardrail, everything was fine. The guardrail gave way, and he went over a cliff 100 meters down into another river, but he didn't have his seatbelt on, so he jumped out the window and clung onto a tree till somebody came to rescue him. Three days later, he turned 73 years old. He bought a lottery ticket, and he won. Okay, seven near-death episodes, and then he buys a lottery ticket. He wins a million dollars, buys a house, buys a vacation home, buys the rest of it for his friends and family, gives them cars, and lives out the rest of his days happily, passed away at 86 years old. So you go, at some point in his life, can you not imagine him looking over at his wife or his kids or his friends, right, going, you know, is it just me? Or does it seem like I almost die way more than everybody else in the world? Or is this just a reality that I have to accept a lot of bad things happen to me? If anybody deserved to win the lottery, it was this poor fellow. So in John chapter two, what we have seen is that John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for Jesus. And we see Jesus approaching him. And he says to the people, listen, I baptize you with water, but here comes the one who's gonna baptize you with the Spirit. 
And so Jesus gets baptized. He calls his first disciples. He calls Nathaniel, and he calls Philip. And then we see Jesus do the first miracle at the wedding of Cana where he turns the water into wine. And then Jesus addresses a reality of what was happening in the temple. John 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Several feasts and festivals each year were required for all the adult Jewish males to travel to. It was a pilgrimage journey. Passover was one of those times. Jerusalem was the capital city. It was higher than the rest, and so they went up to Jerusalem. Verse 14. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So he enters the temple, and there's all these vendors, and they're selling oxen, they're selling sheep, they're selling pigeons, and that wasn't unusual. That wasn't not normal for them during this time. But can you imagine if you would have drove up this morning and you saw a bunch of horse and cow trailers all throughout the parking lot, and you walk inside the fellowship hall or the sanctuary, and you see oxen, and you see goats, and you see sheep, and you see pigeons, with people calling out saying, oxen, I got my oxen, come get your oxen, we got goats over here, we got sheep over here, two for one deal today, come on over and get your pigeons, you'd be going, this is the weirdest church I've ever been to. That would not be normal for us, that'd be really weird. But for them, this was normal. They would have people selling these animals there because many of them traveled from a long ways away. And either they didn't have the animals to bring with them or they didn't want to drag an ox for, you know, 800 miles to get to Jerusalem. So this was a convenience. And so you would think this is something that would make Jesus really happy going, listen, they're providing a ministry here. They're providing a service, saying, you can't bring your animal. We want you to honor God. We want you to have your sacrifice, so we'll have these animals here for you. So you just get here, then you can purchase your animal, and then you can make your sacrifice. This is such a good thing, but here's Jesus' reaction, verse 15. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. He told them, he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered all that was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So three things are specifically mentioned here. It says, first, he made a whip. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if Jesus just carried around some extra leather strands in his cloak just in case he needed one. I don't know if there was a vendor there that's had all the pieces. He goes, just a minute, and watch this. But it says he takes a whip and he runs them out. The animals or the vendors? Yes, he runs them all out. And then it says he takes the coins and he dumps them on the ground. Then he flips the tables. I love to watch movies. So if you're watching this in your mind, what I read is not this. You guys get out of here. This is not what you're supposed to be doing in this place. I don't read. Don't do that. You shouldn't be changing those things. I don't read. This table is not nice. This should not be here. Instead... Jesus is running them out of there. Get out of here. What is wrong with you? Have you lost your minds? And he takes the coins and he throws them. 
get that business out of here. Why would you do these things in my father's house? And they, what is wrong with you? Jesus is fired up. He is mad. He is upset. And very rarely do we see Jesus get like this in any situation. And so why? Why is he so upset? Number, don't worry, he's not stealing that. I asked him to do that. Yeah, we're like, it's like an it's a piñata, get the coins. Thank you, buddy. Here's the reason he's so mad. They were crooks. And so here's what it looked like. You come to the temple and you go, listen, I travel 500 miles. I wasn't dragging no ox or sheep this far. You know how hard it is to keep the pigeons. I don't want to keep them. I'll just buy them when I get there. No problem. We got your oxen. Okay, well, oxen cost like 500 bucks down the road at the HEB auction store. How much are oxens here in the temple? Well, today we have a special. You can buy one oxen for 1,200 or two for 3,000. What do you say? But they're way cheaper outside. Yes, sir, but this is what we call a convenience fee. What do you say? It's like when you go to a professional sporting event, you go to a rodeo, and you go, I think I'm gonna go and get me a Dr. Pepper. Like, yes, sir, that'll be $14. $14 for a Dr. Pepper? I'll just have a bottle of water. That'll be $12. $12 for a bottle of water? Why? Oh, because we have a convenience fee. Well, why do you charge so much? And here's the answer, because we can. What are you gonna do about it? There's no place else around here to buy the oxen or the sheep or the pigeons. We can charge you whatever we want to so they're crooks and they're pocketing the money. There's money changers, so if people came from all around and let's say that they are bringing in euros or pesos and they need shekels and you're supposed to get five for one, they say, okay, give me your one, here's five. One, two, three, four, five. That's three for you and two for me. That's not how this works. It does today. We have a convenience fee. They're crooks. They're ripping people off. And Jesus says, that's not supposed to happen here. What was supposed to be a ministry and what was supposed to help people, you're taking advantage of them. That's reason number one. Reason number two, he's upset, is the area in which that this was happening, all this buying, selling, and ripping people off, was the Gentile area of the corn. So in the court, everything was separate, right? Jews over here, Gentiles over here. The Gentiles had their own area so they could come and they could worship or they could sacrifice or they could learn and people who were followers of the way or people who believed in God could tell them, let me share with you the truth. Maybe you just came here questioning, this is your area. They don't have an area anymore. It's been taken over by all the vendors. Jesus didn't like that. The third reason I think he was so upset was because anything that distracts from the temple being focused on God, shouldn't be there. So he says, this has become your focus, this money-making scheme here, when everything in this place should be about God. This is my father's house. Here's what it says to us today. I think it's important that we examine this place as a place of worship. Now remember, we say, I'm going to church, but remember, we are the church. This is a building but this is a place that we come to worship together. And in this temple that Jesus was at, there were people being taken advantage of and being lied to. That should never happen in God's house. And maybe you're watching from home today because that's happened to you somewhere. Or maybe you're here today, but against your will because you've been to a church that lied to you or took advantage of you. Hear me clearly, that was not God that did that. 
And that was not God's people that did that. That was servants of the devil that did that to you. True believers and disciples of Jesus are not going to lie to you and they're not going to take advantage of you. That should never happen in houses of worship. We see people in the temple like the Gentiles being left out. Maybe you felt left out before. You should never feel left out in this place. We're a family. We should always feel included. In this temple, their focus and their priority had gotten way off. It's good for us to example, to examine what our order of service looks like. It's good for us to look at what are the elements, the pieces, and all the things that happen in this place, because if any of them focus on anything other than on Jesus, we need to refigure. It doesn't mean that we have to limit all distractions. Hear me that. It doesn't mean that, listen, if you bring a cell phone in here, we're taking it and selling it on eBay. It doesn't mean if we have a little one in here that yells and screams that that's bad. We welcome those distractions. But instead, it means if there's any part of our order of worship that isn't pointed towards us knowing and loving and serving Jesus, then things need to be changed so our focus is pure. Here's our call to action. Jesus saw something that had been happening. This wasn't the first time. This wasn't new. This was normal. This was a practice they had all been used to, and surely they all knew that it was wrong, but nobody said or did anything about it until Jesus. And so here's your call to action, that maybe there's something in your worship place, in your workplace, in your family, in your life, in your neighborhood, where something is wrong, and it's been being done, but nobody has said anything about it. We live in a world that says there is no such thing as right and wrong. There is no such thing as absolute morality, and that's a lie straight from hell. And so maybe for too long, you have been quiet about somebody being lied to or mistreated. Maybe for too long, you haven't said anything when somebody has been left out. Maybe for too long, there's been a distraction in your life that needs to have that table flipped over or those coins dumped out. Maybe for too long, you've stood by silent when God's been calling you to say something. And it doesn't mean that you can change it necessarily, but you can sure make known that your voice, your concerns, that what's happening is not right, and you can certainly make sure that you don't participate in it. So maybe that's what God's telling you to access the reality that wrong is being done and he wants you to do something about it. Number two, let me give you a scripture, James four seventeen. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So this isn't just my opinion, this is what scripture says. If you know what is right and what is wrong, you have a responsibility. Number two, we have to avoid human reasoning. There's a video that went viral this week about a car accident, I've probably watched this video at least 20 times. If you haven't seen it, here's what it looks like. So watch this little car here. Some of you are taking it back, so watch it again. Because you're going, I don't really understand. Here comes the little car. Front wheel comes off the truck. This looks made up to me. 
right? Like this looks like it was photo videoed. Somebody put this together and it's not real, but it really did happen. And I've read all these articles about how this is possible, that you know the tire hit and it had just the right amount of deflation in it to where it acted like a rolling ramp that shot the carpet in the air. It doesn't make sense to my brain parts though, because when a tire rolls off, shouldn't it just hit the bumper? and like fall over the side, shouldn't it hit the bumper and roll over the top? For it to send that car like 15 feet in the air, that doesn't make sense to me. I can't explain it. And there's all these other articles. Here's how the wheel could have come off, right? It could have been this, 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 and this. Here's how it makes the projection of the car, but my brain doesn't get it. I watch it, I go, I don't understand that. I can't make sense of this. And sometimes the things that Jesus teaches and the things that Jesus says to the crowds, to the people, to the disciples, they don't understand either and they can't quite make sense of it. Verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So the Jews, maybe the Sanhedrin, the temple authorities, they come in and say, hey, listen, bub, you're in here throwing coins around, running people out with a whip, you're flipping over tables. What gives you the authority? We're the ones in charge. You act like you think you know all things, but we're the ones who really know all things. So who is it that you think you are? What authority do you have in this place? How about you give us a sign that you are who you say you really are? And that's not unusual. The Pharisees are always asking, give us a sign, prove to us. If this is really your father's house, then show us that he is really your father. Verse 19, and Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So remember this scene, he's standing there, he's in the temple. Here come the religious leaders, the crowds, the vendors, they've been run out, the disciples are with him. Surely people are watching this scene unfold. This is one of those things that goes viral on TikTok and YouTube going, look at that guy going crazy in that temple. He's flipping stuff around, running them out with a whip. They're gonna lock him up forever. They say, hey, who do you think you are? Give us a sign. And you're waiting for this moment where he says, I am the son of the most high father. That's why I have authority in this place. And he's dead. He says, three days. Three days, this temple will be torn down and three days it will be built back up. And they're going, what? That doesn't make any sense. Have you seen this place? It's huge. Like I'm sure this sanctuary is very small compared to this temple that they are in. And could you imagine if I said, listen, in three days, this sanctuary will be torn down and it will be built back up. You'd be going, I don't think so. It took 46 years to build this temple. There's no way. And so we know now that Jesus is talking about his body, that it would be broken and destroyed, beaten and crucified, but three days later, he would be resurrected. But in this moment, they're going, have you seen this place? It's like the size of Ikea. And you say you're gonna tear it down and build it back up? That is impossible. And so here's the scene that you can't miss. Jesus is telling them the temple will be torn down and built back up in three days and they're thinking of physical temple. That would be impossible. Jesus is talking about his earthly body, his physical flesh, which tearing that down and resurrecting it, also impossible. And so maybe here's what you need to hear today. He is still the God of the impossible. Jesus doesn't need three days to tear down Ikea and build it back up. 
He could do it instantaneously. Walking on water is not normal. It's impossible. Splitting the Red Sea, impossible. Feeding 5,000 with a fish sandwich, impossible. Going into the grave and coming back to life in three days, impossible. And he did all these things. And so whatever it is that God is calling you to, whatever plan, whatever guidance, whatever direction, whatever he's been speaking into your life, don't you dare limit what God wants to do by your own human reasoning saying, it's not even possible. Everything is possible when God is involved. I listened to a message recently of a pastor whose vocal cords had been permanently damaged. Talk about a life-altering event for someone who uses their voice for a living. And he's talking very broken. And he's talking about how nothing is impossible with God. And then all of a sudden, his voice just comes back. And then it's just silence on the other end. It's just an audio that I'm listening to. And then you just hear tears. Well, you hear weeping. You hear crying, going, something miraculous just happened. And his voice comes back. It didn't seem like a scam to me. It just seemed like God chose to heal him in that moment. God still heals. God still does miracles. God still can tell the mountains to cast themselves into the sea and they will listen. He still controls the sun, the stars, and the galaxies, and the moons. Nothing is impossible, so we don't limit God. Knowing that he can do anything is our new normal. Number three, we acknowledge his revelations, verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said, had he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. We see this pattern over and over, especially with the disciples, that Jesus will teach them something or say something to them, but in the moment they just don't get it. And I don't know that it's necessarily their fault. They're just simple fishermen. They're not theologians. They haven't had scripture to study. They didn't know what was and will happen like many of us have the pleasure of knowing. They're just along for the ride and they're trying to be obedient. And when Jesus says something like in three days, we'll tear it down and build it back up, I wouldn't know what that means either. I'd be going, Jesus says weird things. I'd be going, Lord, can you tell me what that means? Because I'm so confused here. But over and over, we see them and Jesus says something. And then a couple chapters later, it says, and then they realized. And then they understood. And then they saw. And it's not always a fault of theirs, but it's something that I think should be a great challenge for us that we have scripture and we have revelations from Jesus, and we have prophecies, and we have promises, and so we never have to be in the place where we say, I need a sign. I need evidence, or I need proof. We have all the proof and all the evidence that we need, and so what a prayer for us to pray to say, Lord, I don't wanna be behind the mark. I'm not saying that I need to know everything or that I have to know what's gonna go on because I probably couldn't handle it, but here's what I am saying. Let me be present in the moment because I know that you're at work and I don't wanna miss something. Lord, help me to be so in tune with your spirit and with your word that as you're doing things, I just get to be a part of it and it's not three months down the road that I go, oh, I totally missed that one. If only I would have seen, if only I would have known. There was a student having a conversation with a teacher and he was so frustrated 
because he really hated math. Algebra was the devil as far as he was concerned. And so if there's any teachers in the room, maybe you've heard this before, right? Why are we having to do all this? I am never going to use this in my life. And so the teacher took this as a challenge. And he said, hey, do you like football? Of course I like football. He goes, okay, stay with me. Let's imagine it's Super Bowl Sunday. The two best teams are about to battle it out. It's the two teams that everybody wants in the Super Bowl, the Cowboys and the Bengals. It's the two teams that Chad and Zach want to be in the Super Bowl, the Cowboys and the Bengals. And in this game, it's the best game you have ever seen. And I mean, they are point for point, touchdown for touchdown. And at the end of the game, the clock runs out and the score is tied. Well, you can't have a tie at the biggest game. So let's say at that moment, all the referees come out and they say, here's what we're gonna do. He says, we're gonna take tires and we're gonna line them up down the field. And then we're gonna do a relay race. And whichever team runs through those tires the fastest, that's the team who wins the Super Bowl. He said the crowd would go wild. And he goes, and I don't mean wild like excited. They would throw the biggest hissy fit you have ever seen in your life. Because no game like the Super Bowl or any football game or any decision in a football game would ever be determined by how well you run through tires. But isn't it true that every football team runs through tires in practice? You've seen it, right, on football, on TV? They run through those tires. He goes, so why would it ever be that every football team runs through tires in practice, but they'll never be tires in a real game? And so the kid's his wheel's turning, but he's not seen it yet. He goes, so let me explain this. Running through tires helps an athlete develop foot speed, foot-eye coordination, balance, aerobic conditioning, precision. Running through tires helps develop skills that make that athlete a better football player. They don't run through tires just to run through tires. They do it to develop a skill that will make them play at their highest potential. Doing mathematics builds creative thinking, problem solving, the ability to make an argument, to see logical flaws in an argument. Doing mathematics helps us see unstated premises in people's statements, pull out the important information in a sea of available information. We are building serious life skills when we learn to do mathematics. So just like football players run through tires to prepare them for the game, learning algebra teaches us skills for life. But both of these things require action. And so here are three actions that we must take to be disciples. You have to accept this reality. Evil is all around us. It's been here since the Garden of Eden. It'll be here until Jesus rules and reigns. When we see something that is wrong, not based on your opinion, not based because social media or the Tic Tac says it's wrong, but because Scripture and the Spirit say it's wrong, you need to say or do something as the Lord leads. That's your new normal. Avoid human reasoning. Part of your faith walk is to know and understand that God is not limited by anything at all. Therefore, we trust him even when it doesn't make sense, 
and when it seems impossible, that's our new normal. You have to acknowledge his revelations. He shows us, he teaches us, he reveals to us, but we're so hesitant to believe and to follow through. And we often say, if I could just have a sign, if I just had some proof, instead let us believe, follow, trust, and know immediately, instead of waiting, let us be a people who are a part of what God's doing right now. And that's our new normal.